This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. So, of course, we're um, less than a week before Shavuos, Mitzvah Shem Sunday night. So we're definitely going to talk about the night of, of Matan Torah. We're going to talk about Rus. We're going to talk about David HaMelech. Specifically tonight, we're going to talk about David HaMelech. But before I get to that, so the last week of Svira, the last week of Svira is Malchus. Malchus is the final of the seven. Malchus means kingdom. The last day of Svira, the 49th day, is called Malchus Shebe Malchus. That's the king of kings. That's when we get to the 49th level. Of course, Shavuos, we hit the 50th level. Malchus Shebe Malchus is also Mashiach. We'll talk about it a little bit because that's with David HaMelech. So, I spoke a little bit about it. I spoke today about it in seminary a little bit. To understand the counting and, and how, what that has to do with, with our lives, actually. So the question is like this. There's two questions. One is like this. We know that, and I'm, I'm going to quote the Kabayasha. The Kabayasha says that in Mitzrayim, when we left Mitzrayim, we were on the, Mitzrayim, we were on the 49th level of Tumor. So just to give you an example, let's say you had stairs going down to a basement. So, the ground floor and then 49 steps down would be the 49 steps of, of Tumor. When the Bnei Yisrael left Mitzrayim, we had what's called Zuhama. Zuhama is a lush in the language of Tumor. We were Tameh because we were, we were in Mitzrayim, which was the lowest, most Tameh dicker place in the whole world. And then it took 49 days after we left Mitzrayim every single day. We took a step. Oh, out of the 49th level to the 48th level to the 47th to the 46th and onward and onward. And therefore, we count seven weeks, which are called the Shiva Nikiyim. We count those seven weeks till the Chuppah, which is, which is Shavuos when we get married. Why is it a Chuppah? Hashem took our Sinai and he covered the Bnei Israel. A couple of them, He covered them up and he said, if you don't take the Torah, I'm going to destroy you. And therefore, we were under a Chuppah, so to say. And that's Shavuos night is the chuppah. We know that we spoke about many times. Pesach was the engagement. Engagement is the commitment. Marriage is not, commi- is not the commitment. Marriage is the fulfillment of the commitment when the boy said, will you marry me? But the commitment is when he said, will you marry me? And you said, yes, that's the commitment. Now you have to make a wedding date where that's the fulfillment of it. The actual commitment was Pesach night. And Shavuos night is the actual fulfillment when we got the Torah, the Torah... I don't have time tonight to get into it, but the Torah, there's a tzuva that's written from Hashem to us. It's a beautiful thing to read. If you go to a store and you buy a, uh, a um, Tikkun Leil Shvuas, it's a safer to buy. And in that safer you will see the tzuva, like a man gives a woman at the wedding. There's a tzuva that Hashem wrote. It's the most beautiful, romantic tzuva that you can imagine that Hashem wrote between him and his, and his kala and his bride. Which was, which was us, which was Klai Israel. It's a beautiful, I read it every time, Shavuos night. It makes me, you read how Hashem loves us, and He promises to take care of us. It's, it's amazing. It's not, it's really like the ksuba that, that, that a man writes to his wife, you know, uh, that we give under the chuppah. Anyway, the question is like this. So, if we were on the 49th level of Tumor, when we left Mitzrayim, and now every day of Svira, Hayom Yom Echad, Hayom Sheni, Hayom Shlishi, we're climbing one step out of the Tumor, that means that by the time we get to Shavuos, we climb 49 steps out of the Tumor. But where does that put us? That puts us on ground level. That doesn't put us on the 49th level of Kedusha. We all learn that you take a step towards the 49th level of Kedusha, and then the 50th level, which is Bina. 
right? We take a step, but that's not true. If I'm on the 40, 49 steps below the main floor, and now every day I take one step, then on the 49th day, I'm on the main floor. But I'm not 49 steps above the main floor. So what does this mean? What does this mean that, that we come through night, I'm on the 50th level of Kedusha? So the answer is, you know, there's a special thing that Hashem gave us in Yiddishkeit to understand that there are two stairways. It's not 98 steps. You've got to go from the basement 49 steps and then from the ground floor 49 steps. There are two separate stairways. And what Hashem is telling us, which is important to every single person, is that when you take a step out of the Tumor, on the other stairway, you take a step up on the Kedusha. So it's not, it's not one stairway where you gotta go 49 plus 49. It's two stairways. Now, when you're all the way on the bottom of this stairway of Tumor, and you take a step up, you do Chuba, you change one thing about yourself. Then on this other stairway of Kedusha, they move you also. It's parallel stairways. So by the time you get out of the 49th level of Tumor, you're on the 49th level of Kedusha. How do we know this? Sur is one stairway, is getting out of the bad, but that's Vasaito, by, by, by getting away from something, that is going to take a step up on the good side. So, what? The double helix. helix. Okay, the double helix. Well, how come you didn't come up with the double helix? With the double helix. But whatever that means in physics, if I know two little spiral things, yeah, DNA, I remember something like that. Okay. All right. Anyway, so maybe, you know, we know everything in this world and that world parallel. So maybe that, maybe it's a parallel. So it's very important for us to know some people feel, you know what, I did so much wrong in my life, so if, if I stop doing one thing, you know, it's like, it's a Sheval Kasset. Someone calls you up and says, let's go out to the movies. And you say, no. So I didn't do a mitzvah. I didn't do a mitzvah. I just didn't do an Avera. I sat home. I didn't go. Wrong. Every time you take a step out of the Tum on this side, it brings you up a step closer to Hashem on the other side. Which is a big chiddush, which is, you know, because normally in the stairway, you gotta go with 49, then you gotta go with another 49. That would be 98 days. Not, not with us. With us, every time a person makes a change in their life, right, and they step out of their bad or whatever they, whatever they have to step out of, automatically their neshama is lifted up on another step. So by getting out of your 49 steps of Tumma, you'll find yourself surprisingly on a 49th step of Kedusha. If you got yourself out of 10 steps of Tumma, you'll find yourself surprisingly not 39, not just 39 steps below level, but you'll also be 10 steps on the Kedusha ladder. Because the two ladders run very parallel. Okay, so that's, that's one, that's one question. The second question is like this. Why do we count, right, which we've spoken about a little bit, why do we count Svira 1 through 49? We should be counting 49 through 1. 49 days, you know, like 49 bottles of beer on the wall. 49 days, Tishruis on the wall, 48 days, cross out another one, 47 days. There's only five days, Tishruis. There's only two days, Tishruis. Yay, it's Shruis, right? And I'm in the Shir. You're all invited. Mir Hashem, Sunday night. The Young Israel on Avenue J, I think in East 18th. We have a special program for girls to stay up a whole night. We have three Rabbi, I'm Rabbi Gil Freeman and Rabbi Ezra Max and Rabbi Horowitz, Rabbi Naftali Horowitz. So if you want to stay up all night, you'll be able, Mitzvah Hashem, to stay all night and learn. Last year we ran out of refreshments, Mitzvah Hashem. This year we're going to have plenty and plenty of refreshments. So if you want to stay up now, the exact address you have to ask Avivit. I don't know the exact address. 
Wherever you see a bunch of girls walking into shul to learn. There's only going to be one address like that. So a couple of people said to me, Rabbi Wallstein, did you see your mother stay up all night to learn? Said, Where does this come from? Women learning all night. This is, oh, this is uh, women's rights. What are you starting over here? So I, ah, he's right. Who ever heard of women staying up all night to learn? Something new, right? Baruch Hashem, I have a CD in my car. Rav Shimshim Pinkus. Rav Shimshim Pinkus in a shir was talking to a bunch of women. And he said, most of you probably don't stay up all night, but I want you to know that my sisters used to, and they used to sit home and learn and say, say to Hillam and stay up a whole night. So there is something to women. I don't know about going to shul because there's men they're learning, but there is something to women staying up all night. There's a, um, an Arizal, a famous Arizal, that says that any person who stays up a whole night and doesn't sleep even one wink, doesn't close their eyes for one second, the night of Shruis is guaranteed to live out that year. And there won't be any damage happening to that person that year. Guarantee. I had one boy that was totally going crazy on me because when I learned this last year, he made up his mind. Imagine if Rabbi Wallstein would go out and guarantee and offer to everyone in the world that I have a secret. If I tell you this secret, you're guaranteed to live out the whole year. You're going to, the next year, nothing can happen to you. You're definitely going to live a whole year. People would pay a billion dollars for that. Guaranteed to live out a whole year? Says the Zayar, very specifically, says the Shlach HaKadosh also, that a person who stays up a whole night, Shavuot's night, and doesn't talk, doesn't talk about sports or, or politics or something like that, but stays up a whole night and, and, and learns, doesn't matter what you learn, and learns, is guaranteed muftachloi that that year nothing will happen to them and that they will live out the year. It's a Zayar. It's a Shlach HaKadosh. So it's a very big thing. It doesn't say just for men. It doesn't say just for men there. It just says a person who stays up a whole night and learns. I, women don't have a mitzvah to learn, whatever it is. But it brings down that the learning of Torah on Shavuot's night has a very big connection to Shemayim. It brings in art to this world. And it's a very, very big thing. So we at Arnava always want to give you a chance. So Baruch Hashem, last year it was very successful, much more than we thought it would be. And we'll be open that night, Shavuot's night, in, in that young Israel on Avenue Jane, East 18th. And we'll have Shiurim a whole night to keep you up all night. Of course, I'm not telling you to put yourself in danger and to walk through bad neighborhoods or anything like that. If you're in the neighborhood and you're close by and you want to learn, it will be a very, very good thing to do. Okay, so the second question, so the second question is like this. Why do we count up? It's a countdown to Shavuos. Right? Five days left, three days left, yay, it's Shavuos. If you count up, it's one day, two days, three days away from Pesach. What's going on over here? So the terrace is very important, I think very important for every single person who's listening to this shir. It's an important lesson in life, and if you learn this lesson in life, you will never be depressed. You will never need medicine. You'll be a happy person for the rest of your life. And I'll tell you how to do it, and I'll explain to you. That's why we count Sphira upwards. And the answer is like this. If I were to tell everybody here in the crowd that in 40 days, in 49 days from today, I'm going to be giving everybody in this room a million dollars. Okay? And you know that it's, you know it's true. If I had that kind of money, you know it's true. Washington's giving all of us a million dollars. So for the next 49 days, 49 days, you gotta wait. For the next 49 days, you're all gonna be miserable. Be miserable. The 49 day, what's between you and the million dollars? What's between you and the million dollars is the 49 days. So those 49 days is, is a block. 
It's, it's, you want to get past it. I, I wish you would go faster. I wish I could go to sleep for 49 and wake up and get my million dollars. It's in your way. It's in your way. But if I were to tell all of you that I can't give you a million dollars in 49 days, but I'm going to give you $2,000 a day for the next 49 days, 50 days. That's how you're going to get your million, right? So every day you're going to walk in here, or well, I'm here to get my $2,000. On the second day, you're now worth four. On the third day, now you're worth six. On the tenth day, now you're worth $20,000. Right? So, every day to you is exciting because it's adding up that you know at the end of this whole counting, I'm going to be a millionaire. But if I miss a day, I'm not going to be a millionaire. I'm going to be a millionaire minus $2,000. Svira, if you miss a day, you can't make a bracha anymore. Because now you didn't do the whole thing. So, those days are not in your way. You need every one of those days. Because you can't make the million unless you have every single day. So every single day is exciting. Not only that, but really it's more exciting than the day before. Why? Because when you walk out of here the first day, you have $2,000 in your pocket. When you walk out of here the second day, ooh, I got $4,000. Now I can get something big. And the third day, wow, I got $6,000. Right? And the fifth day, you already have $10,000. And then all of a sudden you have 100,000, all of a sudden you have 200,000, and you're dreaming. You... So every single day is more exciting. One of the biggest problems in life is, now, I don't want you to get this wrong, because you have to set goals. But one of the biggest problems in life is goals. What do I mean by goals? I have 14-year-old girls that tell me, Rob Wallstein, I think I'm ready to get married. I'm ready to get married. I'm like, you're ready to get married? If you're ready to get married... You're gonna, you're gonna have to go to work. That's right. I want to get out of your, I want to get out of school. I'm ready to go to work. So I'm like, why do you want to get married at 14? You have teenage years. You have a lot to learn, a lot to absorb. Why do you want to get married? Because, because I see a lot of people that they get much older, they don't get married. If I'm married at 14, I know I'm set. I'm married. (laughs) So I'm like, so, so marriage is a goal. And by so many girls, Marriage is a goal. It's a very big problem. Because once you're married, you reached your goal. If you reached your goal, where do you go from there? It's like, Shalom Aleichem, now I'm married. Now what? Right? So marriage is not a goal. Marriage is a means to reach, to reach the goal of having children and bringing them up in a house of Klai Yisrael and serving our Kaddish Baruch Hu. It's, it's an ingredient, but it's not the goal. So what happens if you're 14 years old and your goal is to get married and you can't get married when you're 14. You can only get married when you're 19. You came back from seminary because they won't let you into seminary if you're married, right? So that means the next five years, those five years are in your way. They're blocking you from getting married. Just like this person who has all these days in between he gets his money. So now, if they're in my way... I got to get through them as fast as I can, as as much as I can that I don't feel the pain of having to wait to get married. So therefore, I'm going to do all kinds of crazy stuff because anyway, these days are a waste of time because I can't get married when I'm 14, 15, 16. So if a person would take every day of their life and understand that every single day of your life is a small minute, hour, Day, week, month. And at the end of your life, after 120 years, when a person dies, 
They take all those days of Svira, where one day was Netzach, and one day was Teferish of Netzach, and one day was Malthus, and one day you helped somebody, and one day you grew, and one day you learned, and one day you said Tehillim, and one day you did Kibbutz of and one day you didn't speak Lashon Hara, and all of a sudden, at the end of your days, you had a life. But if everything is a goal, then actually, all the time between your goals is a waste of time. Because it's stopping you from getting to your goal. I want to I wanna be a college, I want to be a doctor. But I can't be a doctor at 14. So until I can be a doctor, what am I going to do with myself? So a person has to understand that every moment of their life is like a sphera. It's a present. It's a deposit. And I, you take all those moments, of course, and that's why as human beings, animals don't have time. You never saw in the zoo the monkey saying, oh, it's 2.24, I better go get lunch. Right? They don't, they don't have hours, minutes, and seconds. And humans, we do. Why? Why? The whole world. We're the only ones who have seconds, and then a minute, and then an hour, 24-hour period, which is a day, and then a week, and then a month, and then a year, and then 10 years, and then a century. Why do we, why do we, why do we have that? Why do we have such a breakdown? Break it down into minutes. Break down life into minutes, because every second in your life is a sphere. Every second in your life is a step up. And that second, your goal has to be, what am I doing with that second? Not when I'm, going to, when I'm going to start dating when I'm 19 years old. That's not your goal. Your goal is, what am I going to do this second? person has to live their life for that second. Because we don't know what's going to be. We don't know what's going to happen. So many things get in between. So therefore, Svira is a lesson in counting. It's called Svira. It's a lesson in counting. Hashem tells us a Jew counts up. One plus one equals two. Plus two, two plus one equals three. And every second of your life has to have an importance to it. And then the culmination of all those seconds, that's your life. It's a very different life. And you don't get depressed that I had this goal and I didn't reach that goal. It doesn't matter if I reached that goal or not. Did I, did I do something this second? Did I accomplish something this second? Like I said in Svira, it's true you don't make a bracha. But whatever sphere you counted, whatever you worked on that day, that belongs to you. It's a very big machlokis, we show him if sphere is one big mitzvah, if it's all, if it's, you know, separate mitzvahs of boys by mitzvah in the middle of sphere, so he missed the first, he wasn't, he didn't have a mitzvah deraisa the first few days, and now all of a sudden in the middle he becomes by mitzvah, so if it's one big mitzvah, then he can't make a bracha. Because he missed the first half of the mitzvah, he wasn't bar mitzvah. So that's a whole bar mitzvah speech that kids make when they're bar mitzvah. It's not my, it's not my subject matter tonight. My subject matter tonight is that every girl should understand that, that yes, of course, I'm not saying that, that you shouldn't have a goal and say that I have to, what's called consequence, that I, I'm learning now so that I, so that I know what I need to know when I'm gonna get married. That's, that's fine. But just to have the goal of, I need to get married, it's not a good thing, because if I need to get married as a goal, then once you're married, we're, uh, now, now what? Now what? You know, you walk up to the chuppah, and you're all excited, you had this big goal. Now when you turn around, and you're walking down the chuppah, no, what's the goal? What's the goal? You made, you, you reached the goal. You can tell all your friends I'm married, just like you are. So now what? And there's a lot of problems today, because marriage became a goal. Became a goal. I gotta get married. My friends are married, I gotta get married. And then after I get married, we'll see what happens. We'll see if he's the right guy. Well, I got married. Everyone came to a wedding. Now I'll try to figure out. We'll go to therapists. We'll go to Shalom Bias classes. We'll go, we'll go. We'll find out if he's the right guy. Hello? Hello? Why didn't you find that out before you got married? Because marriage was the goal. 
and everything was in my way. And the minute I, now I came back from seminary and I'm allowed to go out, so the person has to understand it's not the goal. The goal is to understand that through marriage, I'm going to have children, I'm going to have a bias, I'm going to be able to bring people into my house, I'm going to be able to do chesed. Now, if that's what's in your head, so then the chup is nothing. Chup is just the beginning. Because now I'm married, now I can go home and build a bias. Now I can have children. Now I can have people for Shabbos. Now I can do chesed. So that continues going and going. But if marriage is the goal, then when you're married, it's over. So a person needs to live their life like Sphira. And every day say, Hayom Yom Echad, Hayom Yom Sheni. This is the third day of my life. This is the 8,242nd day of my life. What am I going to do on this day? When I come to Shemayim, they're going to say, Day 8,421 8, of Rabbi Wallerstein's life. No, you counted Sphira that day? Did you say Hayom Yom? And today is what? Netzach, Teferes, Hod, Chesed. What did you do that day? You sat and you watched television? You went to the movies? You surfed the net? What'd you do? What, what sphere did you count on the 8,721st day of your life? I don't figure out if that's more than 120 years. I don't know the math exactly. But what did you do? And you need to, you need to count sphere every single day. The Chabot Chaim went to sleep at night. He counted sphere. He sat down and he said, what did I do today? What did I use every minute? Did I use every second? Every day he counted sphere. And all those days added up together. That's what makes a person's life. Okay. That's why, that's why we count up. Now, I have said this story before, but I think it's like one of the most amazing stories. Some of you have heard it, some of you have not. This week is the, is the week of Malchus. So, it is the epitome of every Mida, of all seven, of Netzach, of Chesed, of Hoyt. The first day of the last week is called Chesed Sheba Malchus. Chesed Shibamachus. The highest level of Chesed. I would like to tell you tonight a story which I've said many times, but every time I say it, I get more excited about it. The story of two men in a nursing home. I don't know how many of you remember it, how many of you have heard it, but I think this is probably the ultimate story, the ultimate story in Chesed. And I think everyone in this room, this is Malchus Shibachesed, Chesed Shibamachus, and I think that this, everyone in this room can reach this level, I hope. So let me tell you the story. So there was a nursing home for old people. And there was a Mr. Lefkowitz that was a very wealthy man. Mr. Lefkowitz lived in this nursing home. He was the only guy in the whole nursing home that had a room to himself. Everybody else was two in a room. Lefkowitz, used to call him Lefke, he, he enjoyed his privacy. Anyway, one day, the head of the nursing home calls him in says, Mr. Lefkowitz, we got to ask you a favor. There's this guy, Friedman, Mr. Friedman, and we want to take him into the nursing home, but there are, no, there, are no, there are no beds. There are no rooms. Everybody's doubled in a room. You're the only one that you're by yourself in this room. Would you let us put Mr. Friedman in your room for like two weeks until a bed opens up in a different room? Lefkowitz was a doll. Lefkowitz was the nicest guy. He said, no problem. You want to bring Mr. Friedman to my room? Bring Mr. Friedman to my room. And he was a very happy guy. He never didn't have any legs. He lost his legs to diabetes. But he was still a very happy guy. So, they wheel in this Mr. Friedman. They put him in the bed next to Mr. Lefkowitz. Friedman's sitting in his bed. Lefkowitz gets into his wheelchair. Rolls over to Friedman. He says, hey, my new roommate, Friedman, for a month. 
So, now to play backgammon? Huh? You not play rummy cubs? What are we going to play for a month? This guy, Friedman, is the most miserable, grisly old man you ever met. And he's like, get away from me, man. Don't talk to me. Lefkowitz is like, hey, 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 hey. This is my room. Now, you know, you got to be friendly with me. He's like, friendly with you? I don't want anything to do with you. Get away from my bed. Okay? Lefkowitz says, you know what? We got to give this guy a chance to, like, you know, get used to me. Gets back into his wheelchair. He's in his wheelchair, rolls over to his bed, gets back into his bed. Says, okay, I'm a patient man. We'll wait till this guy gets a little bit nicer. That night, in the middle of the night, Lefkowitz hears that Friedman's crying in the bed next to him. Gets back into his wheelchair, rolls over, says, Friedman, why are you crying? He's like, get away from me, don't ask me any questions. He says, no, why are you crying? He says, yeah, you really want to know? Mr. Lefkowitz, Mr. Happy Guy, I'll tell you, Mr. Happy Guy, look at me. He goes, okay, you're not the most handsome guy I ever saw in my life, but you're not that terrible that you should be so depressed. He says, can't you see? I'm blind. So Lefkowitz, he didn't realize that, of course, so he stops. And he says, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry. And he's thinking to himself, I want this guy to play rummy cubs with me and this stuff. He can't even see, you know, like it's a little bit insulting. He says, I didn't, I, I'm sorry. I, I, he says, I don't want to hear your story. Don't apologize. But listen to me. Don't come around and be Mr. Happy-Go-Lucky. Do you know that I lost my eyesight? I was able to see till five years ago. And I lost my eyesight and I can't see my grandchildren anymore, and I can't see my children anymore, and I can't see anything in this world anymore. So just do me a favor. You want to let me stay in your room, I'll stay in your room. But don't come around with all your happy-go-lucky stuff. I'm not interested. Let me live in my dark world. And, and Lefkowitz is in like total shock. And he doesn't know what to say, and he wheels back to his bed, and he sits there and he's like, oh my goodness. What, what am I going to do for this guy? I'm, I'm able to go around every day in my wheelchair and make, do all kinds of wheelies and make everybody happy. What am I going to do for this man? Gets back into his wheelchair. Wheels back to Friedman. Says, Friedman, listen to me. I'll tell you what we're going to do. Says, you're blind and I got no legs. This is what we're going to do. He says, not yet. Not yet. But... A couple of weeks from now, we're going to be real good buddies. We're going to be running up. You're going to be running up and down the halls. I'll be on your shoulders. I'll be your eyes. You'll be my feet. We are going to be the funniest pair of guys in this whole place. We're going to turn this whole place over. He says, but, but I know you're not in the mood for that, so I'll tell you what I'll do for you. He says, listen, Friedman, I was an artist my whole life. I pay very close attention to details. He says, I'm going to go to my window... And I'm going to be your eyes. Every morning when the sun rises, I'm going to describe to you the sunrise. I'm going to describe to you everything. And you'll see that I will describe it so well that you're going to see things that you didn't even see when you had eyes. Freeman's like, Lefkowitz, leave me alone. He says, listen, this is the deal. You let me do it for two days. I promise you, you don't want me to do it anymore. No running up and down the halls making ourselves crazy. No me telling you what, what's going on outside, just give me two days. He says, two days, you promise you'll never come over to my bed, you won't bother me, you won't make jokes, you won't, I promise. Deal. Okay, next morning, 
5.30 in the morning. Lefkowitz wakes up. Friedman! Sunrise! Sunrise! Let's go! Get up, get up, get up! Sunrise! Okay, here I go. Let me see. Uh, ooh, wow. It's pretty dark out there, but I see a little pink, a little pink. A little pink. Ooh, it's a little bit cloudy. And he, and he describes the most amazing sunrise that you ever heard in your life because he's crazy on details. And he's telling him off to the north, there's a cloud, and, and, and oh, look, there's, there's, there's a dog walking in the, in the park outside. And, and, and he describes the fire hydrants and the trees and the benches and the little kids playing in the park with the balloons. And that whole day, he sits by the window and he describes everything that he sees. And this guy, Freeman, sitting in his bed, it's amazing. The guy doesn't stop talking. Lefkowitz just keeps talking, 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 talking. There's a lady with an umbrella, there's a red dog and a brown dog, and there's a garbage truck, and it says sanitation on it, and this and that, a police car. But you know what? This guy's really good. And he goes on, he does it the second day, and he does it the third day, and he does it for a week, and he does it for two weeks, and he does it for a month. And these two guys, Freeman and Lefkowitz, become the two closest guys in the whole nursing home. And Kachaya, they're running up and down the halls, one guy has no legs. The other guy's blind. They're making jokes. They got the whole place turned over. They come to lunch. They're serving lunch. He's 10 feet tall on this guy's shoulder. He's giving everybody lunch. The nursing home is a new place. Everybody wants to get in. They, they got a comedy act 24 hours a day. It's amazing. And this guy every morning, and this goes on for a whole year. For a whole year. And... Lefkowitz sits there all day long, and now it's snowing, and there's people with galoshes. And look, there's a sanitation, and there's snow, and there's snowballs, and the snowman, and fall, he, each leaf on every tree, and spring, and, and the, he's mamish, he's in love with him. He's like, you, so he calls him over one morning, and he says, Lefkowitz, get over to my bed, I gotta talk to you. He comes wheeling over to the bed, yeah, what do you want, Friedman? He says, I have to tell you something. He says, you know, my whole life till five years ago, I was able to see perfectly like any other human being. He says, I want to tell you something. I never saw a sunrise. My whole life, I never saw a sunrise. I never really looked at a snowflake. I never looked at the colors in the fall. I never looked at a tree blooming in the spring. I want you to know something. I have to tell you this. That being blind with you in my room, I see more than when I had my eyesight without you in my room. And I just want to thank you very much for that. And Lefkowitz was like, oh, come on, Freeman. You're getting all mushy on me. Come on, come on, come on. Let's go. we got to go for our run through the hall. And if you can imagine this friendship, it was absolutely amazing. One day, because they were used to getting up at a certain time every morning, one day, Mr. Freeman wakes up, and he can't see, but he feels it's late. And Lefkowitz didn't wake me up. So he starts screaming across the room, Lefsky, Lefsky, where are you? Uh, it's late. Did you oversleep? There's no answer. Lefkowitz, where are you? There's no answer. Begins to panic a little, because Lefkowitz never did this to him. Starts ringing the, the nurse's bell. He starts ringing the nurse's bell. Nurse comes running in. Yes, Mr. Freeman, what can I do for you? Where's Lefkowitz? She goes, um, Lefkowitz? Uh, who's, uh, oh, Lefkowitz, oh, the guy in the other bed. Um, well, he passed away last night. Freeman says, excuse me? Um, he had a heart attack in the middle of the night. He was sleeping. We didn't want to wake you. And we, we took him to the hospital, and he passed away in the hospital. And the funeral was this morning at 11 o'clock. What time is it? It's, it's 9.30. 
Oh my goodness, get me dressed. I must go to this funeral. I must go to this funeral. My best friend. She goes, okay, 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 we'll make arrangements. We'll get you there by 11 o'clock. Don't go, wait, wait. He says, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. He says, but before I go to the funeral, you have to do something for me. He says, nurse, do me a favor. Just in memory of my best friend, Lefke. Could you go to the window? Just describe me. It's 9 o'clock, 9 o'clock. Let's see, he used to tell me 9 o'clock. The sun must be like 23 degrees from the horizon. Could you, could you just go outside? Just describe me. What does the day look like? Is it raining? Is it cloudy? What's going on in the park? Just go over to the, to the window and tell me what's going on. And the nurse goes, what do you want me to do? Go to the window. He did this for me every morning. Do me a favor. I just want to do this. The last day I'm going to his funeral. And tell me what you see outside the window. I know I need to know how to get dressed. She says, Mr. Lefkowitz. I mean, Mr. Mr. Friedman, I'm really sorry. But there's no window in this room. He says, what are you talking about? Don't play with me. Lefky, every morning, come on, there's no way. And he, he says, get me out of my bed. And she gets him out of his bed. And he walks to Lefkowitz's bed. And he touches the bed. Of course, he's not there. And he says, put me on the wall across from his bed. She puts him on the wall. And he starts to feel the wall, up and down the wall, up and down the wall. He goes from one side of the room, one side of the room. Once I'm sorry, I have to make him move the camera. One side of the room, one side of the room. And he's feeling, and he's looking, and he's feeling, and he's like, this is not possible, this is impossible. I don't believe this. And all of a sudden, he says, oh my goodness. For the last year, that man stood by a wall and made believe it was a window and described to me all these things which he never even saw. He was looking at a wall. And he turns up and he starts screaming. Lasky, where are you? My eyes a second time, my eyes. Hashem, how can you do this? You took away my eyes a second time. He was my real eyes. I must go to this Levi and talk to his children. And he comes to the Levi. It's a famous story. And he gets up at the Levi of this man who had no legs, an old man in a nursing home. Everybody came because they had to come because they knew the family. How many people were at Levi? 20 people. But this man's Leviah who nobody knew, an old man that died. He had some money, so there were 20 people. <laughs> Otherwise, there would have been 10 people. And this man got up and said, if the Jewish nation knew who this man was, this would be a bigger Leviah than the Chafetz Chaim had. And he got up at the Leviah and he said, I want you to know who that man in the coffin is. That's my friend Lefkowitz. For a year, he sat by a wall and he turned it into a window for me. He said, and every Jew has the power to take the wall of somebody else and make it a window. To take the wall of a blind person who doesn't know who Hashem is, who doesn't know what Torah is, who doesn't know what mitzvahs are, and to take that wall and sit there and describe what it means to do a mitzvah, what it means to be close to Hashem, what it means to read a Hebrew word, what it means to do kibbutz of the aim, what it means to do a chesed, Take that blind person who's grumpy, who doesn't, who has no meaning in life. And each one of you can be the artist who pays attention to detail to speak to that person and to be that window, even though that person is looking at a wall. And sometimes, girls, you don't even have your own window. You have your own problems. You have your own wall. Lefkowitz had no legs. He had his own problems. It didn't stop him. Because he actually, he wasn't looking out a window. I think that if I told you the story and there was a window, it's a crazy chesed. To sit there day and night, looking out a window, 
and describing to a blind person. But he didn't even have a window. He had the same wall that that man had. But he used his imagination to make that wall into a window. It's not the end of my shear, but it should be the end of my shear. <laughs> because that's the Kosa Maravi. There's a wall, a wall, it's a wall of stone that we all go to, that we all go to, to cry and to daven. And it says in Shir Hashirim that HaKadosh Baruch Hu watches us through the cracks or through the window. What's the difference between the cracks and the window? Is if I watch you people, if I have a wall here and I watch through the cracks, I see you, but you don't see me. If I watch you through a window, I see you and you see me. So maybe what Shlomo Melach was saying, and maybe Amida Kineged Mida, that if every girl and every Jew and every man in this, in Klai Yisrael, would take the wall of another Jew, would take that wall and turn it into a window, by helping to describe them the beauty of being a Jew, then HaKadosh Baruch Hu will change right now in Shir Hashir, and we're just Hashem watching us through the cracks. The Kaisa Moravi only has cracks. It doesn't have windows. When is it going to have windows? When it's the wall of the Beis HaMikdash. Beis HaMikdash had windows. So maybe, Mida Kineged Mida, if we take the walls of people and turn them into windows, then Mida Kineged Mida, Hashem will take that wall, the Kaisa Moravi, and turn it into windows by bringing us to Beis HaMikdash, and that should be the end of my speech. Because that's a very big bracha. But there's one more point that I need to make tonight. And that's a point about Dabar HaMelech. Most people don't really know the whole story of Dabar HaMelech. I'm just going to touch it for a moment. Dabar HaMelech came from Rus. Now the story of Rus is an amazing story because Rus actually, well let me, let me just backtrack for a minute because you really need to, need, you really need to know this for Rus. The three Malachim that came to Lot, that came to Avram Avinu, they had three jobs. But actually they did four jobs. One Malach went after that to save Lot. So Rashi, everybody asks that we know a Malach can't do two. When they send him from Shemayim, you get one job. You don't get two jobs. So how did one Malach refall? How did he, how, how did he be Marapa Avram Avinu and at the same time he went to save Lot? So I'm going to explain to you what happened. When the, when the Arabs, the three Arabs that came, the three Malachim that came dressed as Arabs, so when they came, they said to Abraham Avinu, Aye Sarah Ishtecha. We see this whole big, beautiful meal. Where's the lady that made it? Aye Sarah Ishtecha. Where is she? And Abraham Avinu answered and said, Hine Ba'ohel. A Jewish woman belongs in the kitchen. Please don't throw it, don't throw your chairs. <laughs> But, he never, oh hell! You know, I have to do, I, I have to, the other side that I, that I have you learning all night through is, you understand, women's rights, I have to go a little bit back to the other guy, you know, women belong in the kitchen, so now everyone will be happy. But, but he said, that's not he was saying that she belongs in the kitchen. What he was saying is that when men come to eat in somebody's house, it's not sneers for the, for the woman to come out and serve them because they're going to look at her, and oh, she's so pretty, and she knows how to cook, and it's going to cause all kinds of problems. So, Abram served them, and Yishmol served them. What, what he paskin lahalacha, at that point, what he paskin lahalacha, is that a woman is not supposed to serve. She's not supposed to serve. What happened? 
the minute Avraham Avinu passed in that lahalacha, there was a reason to save Lot. Until then, Lot was going to get killed in Sodom with everybody else. Why was there a reason to save Lot? Because from Lot came Rus. From Rus came Dabra Melech, and then Melech HaMoshiach. Now, the Machlokas in Klai Yisrael was that when it says in the Torah, you're not allowed to marry a person from Moab, because Moab was a terrible nation. We came by, we were hungry, we were thirsty. And they said, we're not giving you anything. And Hashem said that the Jewish DNA is that we have Rachamim. And we don't want to marry into any nation that doesn't have pity. So therefore, we're not allowed to marry into the nation of Moab. We're not allowed to. So does that mean a man from Moab? Or does that mean a woman from Moab? So originally it was a man and a woman from Moab. But now that Abraham Avinu said that women are not supposed to go out and serve, what do you want from the women of Moab? They're not supposed to go out and serve. So they didn't do anything wrong. Therefore, they passed in the halacha that when the Torah says, you're not allowed to marry from Moab, it only means the men. So when Sarah Imenu passed in that, when Abram passed in that halacha, that an Isha has to be a Tznua, then there was a reason to save Lot. Because otherwise, from Moab, we wouldn't be able to have Rus because she wouldn't be allowed in. So the reason that there is a Rus altogether, that she's allowed to marry into Judaism, was because Sora Imenu was a Tznua DNA. Why was Rus picked by Boaz? Why was she picked out in the field altogether? Because they came and they said, she doesn't bend over to pick up the, the wheat. She curtsies. That's not normal. And therefore, she was a Tznua. Isha Tznua, let me meet her, let me talk to her. That led to Boaz, that led to the whole thing. Where did the whole Rus come into existence? Her whole DNA came because a woman has to be a tznuah. If a woman didn't have to be a tznuah, she could serve the men. If she could serve the men, then Moab would be a Moab and a Moavia, and there would be no Rus. And, there would, and therefore, Lot would not have been saved. Because the only reason that Lot was saved was for that reason. Let's go a step further. Step further, so what happened? So Lot went up into the mountains with his daughters. And the world, and Sodom was destroyed. There was fire, and when they looked out of the cave, it looked like the whole world was destroyed. So the daughter, the oldest daughter, and the, and the other daughter thought the whole world was destroyed. If the whole world is destroyed, how are we going to have children? How's the world going to continue? The world can't continue. It's only us two and our father. So they got, she got her father drunk, and he was drunk that night, and she was with her father. She became pregnant, and that child was called Moav from a father, which is Me'avi. Me'avi is what, which she shouldn't have called him, because it was a disgrace. But... Don't ever, ever think bad thoughts about the daughters of Lot. Because there's a tshuva from Rabbi Moshe Feinstein. Rabbi Moshe Feinstein doesn't write stories. But there's one story that he wrote. That when he was a rov in Europe, there was a man that every time they read the parsha of the two daughters, he would get up and say, I don't understand, that's incest. How could the Torah talk about such a dirty, filthy thing? Those dirty, filthy daughters, how could they do such a thing? And Rabbi Moshe Feinstein kept telling him, if the Torah writes it, they, they, they thought they were saving the world. They did it with the right machshavas. Don't talk like that. But he didn't listen. Ramayisha says, and, and he writes in his tshuva, that on the deathbed of this man, he called Ramayisha Feinstein to come to his deathbed. He was dying. And he said to Ramayisha, please daven for me, because I'm in and out of a coma. And when I was in a coma, I saw the two daughters of Lot. And they said, we're waiting for you. You're going to pay a big price for making fun of us. That they were really tzikhanias. They really did it for the right reasons. They really did it to save the world. And therefore, a person is not allowed to think bad thoughts about what happened in that, what happened over there, because she did it, they did it for the right reasons. So what did they do? They, they decided that they're going to have children that's going to save the whole world. Okay, so now, Rus, Rus comes out of Moab, 
And if you look at when Ruth came out of Mo, I don't have a chumash here. If you can get me a chumash, lady, maybe in the back. So it's very, very interesting because what happens is like this. If you if you look into Megillas Ruth, it says there that Boaz, when he came to the field, he told the boys in the field, "Don't touch her. Don't touch her." Now, these were Boaz was the Rabbi Moshe Feinstein. Thank you, the Rabbi Moshe Feinstein of the Dar. Why would his boys that are working for him be touching girls? Why would they touch a girl? Why do you have to tell them, don't touch her? They would never touch somebody. So the Medrash says that they did not accept her as a Jew. And they said she does not belong with the other Jewish girls, the poor Jewish girls, collecting. So they were going to pick her up, says the Medrash, and literally, physically, throw her over the fence. So we're going to take her and throw her out. Ashiksa. What's she doing in the field with the Jews? They're going to pick her up and throw her out. So he told them, don't touch her. Now, I, want, I, I think this is very important because I think we can learn from a Gadol Hadar. We can always learn from a Gadol Hadar. But I, I want to just read you a, a, a passage. And I think that anybody in Chinuch and every parent and anybody in Chinuch should look at Boaz. You have to not, let me just tell you who Boaz was. Boaz was the Rosh Bezdin Boaz was the shofar. Boaz was like the highest Gadol Hadar, the Melech. He was the leader of Klai Yisrael. He was an old man. He was in his 90s. He was an old man. He was the leader of Klai Yisrael. I want to show you how the leader of Klai Yisrael talks to a strange girl. Strange girl. He had no idea who she was, right? In a field. Listen carefully. And he starts like this. <coughs> Who's this girl? Now, why did he ask that? Because, again, she was exceptionally modest. He said he was very anti-her, this, this boy. And he said, She's a girl from Moab. in the army. You know, in the army, the whole story where she ran away from the Jews with her husband? She's a lowlife. She's a Moavia from Moab. Like, why would the Gadol Hadar be interested in anything about her? So he said, well, let's see who this is. He said, he said to her, I want to skip, I don't have to go to that part. He said like this. I'll take you a look at Listen, my daughter. Call them my daughter. So number one. Number one. Listen carefully. I don't have time tonight because I can give you a share for six hours on this. I'm serious. But this, this is, this, you know, everyone reads Megillah's Ruth, they want to get out of shul. Listen to a Gadol Hadar who is meeting a girl who everyone's calling a shiksa. She's got, you know, like tongue rings and tattoos and she's a movia. She's a shiksa. She's a shiksa. Now, how does he talk to her? First of all, he says, BT, my daughter. Whoa. All the boys, the from guys, throw her off the thing, she's a shiksa. The girl does this, quite calm down, guys. Shaiful, Abiti, my daughter. He's opening a conversation with a girl. First of all, they talk to her like a mensch. Abiti, number one. Now, in my whole schmooze, this is very big for me. Because my Rebbe, Rabbi Gamliel Rabinovich, told me this 15 years ago. And I didn't realize, I mean, I know he's a gadol, but I didn't realize where it came from till I prepared this year. Fifteen years ago, they wanted to throw a boy out of my yeshiva. And they had a good reason to throw him. I was assistant principal, I was eighth grade rebbe, he was one of my boys, and he was caught doing something really bad. 
Now, the yeshiva I teach and the kids are not religious. So if we throw them out of yeshiva, they're going to public school. And if it's a boy and he's going to go to public school, there's a 90% chance he's going to public school, whatever it is, and there's Italian girls there, he's going to end up marrying a guy. So before we put, you know, another kid you throw out, you hope he maybe go to another yeshiva. This kid I know, he's gone. He's gone. So before I could throw a kid out of yeshiva, it's a very big responsibility. So I went to Eretz Yisrael to my rabbi. And I said, Rabbi Gamliel, I don't need this. I have a business. What do I need that after 120 years, I'm going to come to Shamayim and they're going to say, Wallerstein, because of you, this guy married a guy. His children are all goyim. Because you didn't have enough patience to talk to him and keep him in yeshiva. I said, I'm going to go to, I'm giving up chenach. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to make a lot of money. I'm going to give a lot of tzedakah. Right? And leave me alone. What do I have to be a teacher for? A teacher, you're going to have to answer the kid came in and, 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 and they were sad and you didn't give them the time. They called you, Ayve, I'm going to have Gibi Cheshbon. They called you and you didn't call back. Oh boy. But I have an answer for that. I'll tell you my answer for that. They called you and didn't call back. You put him on hold. The kid was depressed and you didn't walk over to her and say, what's going on in your life? You're going to give Din Cheshbon as a teacher every little thing you missed, you're going to pay big. So what do you need it for? Who needs it? Go be a, th- go be a you know, a physical therapist. Be a lawyer. What do you need this for? What do you need a din v'cheshmer on every single child that you spoke to? So I said to my rabbi, I'm done. Now what do I do with this guy? So Rabbi Gamliel said to me the following, which there's no way I could deal with anybody if I wouldn't have learned this. And he said, listen. He said, after 120 years, Hashem's going to ask you one question in Chinuch. One question. He's going to say, Rabbi Wallerstein, did you treat my children like they were yours? That's all Hashem's going to ask you. If your answer is no, they're going to put you in a place in Gehenna that nobody will ever find you. That's how deep. This is my Rebbe telling me. Zechariah, that's how deep they're going to put you. If your answer is yes, that you treated Hashem's children like your own, then you're allowed to make mistakes because parents make mistakes with their children. But you have to treat that child like that child is your own. Now, that makes everything very easy for me. People come to me, should I go out with this guy? Shouldn't I go out with this guy? On the fifth day, he said this. What should I do? Should I get divorced? Should I not get divorced? What should I do? So, how can I answer such a question? Who am I to answer such a question? But, if that's my daughter sitting there, that's very easy to answer. If a guy said that to my daughter on a fifth date, have a nice life. <laughs> now, when it's somebody else's daughter, it's very easy to say, no, it's going to work out. You're going to get feelings later. Get married without feelings. You'll find feelings later. I'm not telling that to my daughter. So, whatever advice I give to anybody in this world, that's my child. That's my son, and that's my daughter. And it's, it, it's a no-brainer. Because you know what you're going to do with your children. Where did Rabbi Gamil get this from? Where did he get this from? That a teacher, that a person who's in Chinuch, has to treat every kid like if they want. And believe me, there'd be a lot less kids on the street if that's how Chinuch looked at people. Because I don't think there's any principal in the world that would throw their own daughter out of yeshiva. Only if she's a machti and she's causing other people to sin, then you have to throw a kid out of your own house. If you have one kid that's destroying your other kids, sometimes. But even when you throw your own kid out of your house, you're going to make sure that there's a place for them to stay. You're not going to put them on the street. So I tell, I tell principals, I understand this kid's taking down your whole school. But if it was your child... You wouldn't just put him on the street. You would first find another place. Why didn't you find another place? So anybody in this room who's going to become a teacher, 
don't forget what I'm telling you. Either that, those students are going to be like your children, or don't go into Chinuch. It's not worth it. It's impossible to make always the right decisions with children. But if you could turn around and say, Hashem, I love them. So me, my answer to the people who call me, and I don't call you back for a while, I do the same thing to my own kids. <laughs> so don't feel like you're any different. Where did Rabbi Gamliel get this from? From the Galah Hadar. He called her Piti. He didn't say, so how are you? I hear you're a ger, you're a this, you're a that. He said, I'm now opening a conversation with you, and I'm opening this conversation with you, I don't even know who you are at this point, as my own daughter. I am going to talk to you now, not like those boys who want to throw you out or are calling you names, I'm going to talk to you like my own daughter. This is where it comes from. He called her BT. Haloy Shamat BT. Don't listen to me, he said, my daughter. Don't go any, to any other fields. Stay here. And now listen to what he says. So she says to him, I don't understand this. She falls on her face. She's in front of the girl at the door. And she says, Why are you being so nice to me? You know, sometimes you wonder, why are you being so nice to me? Lahaki Rainy! I'm giving you, I'm giving you a share tonight in, in, in Chinuch. Listen to me. Listen to what this, what this Godel, he's giving you a share in Chinuch. She's asking him, why did I find enough favor in your eyes that you even recognized me? That you stopped and you said, hi, how are you? That's a chesed. That someone gave you attention. That someone realized you're taking a place in this world. So she said to him, why did you even recognize me? Why are you giving me attention? And Boaz, and Boaz answered her and he said to her, tell me, tell me a little bit about, at that point she said, oh, you're a guy? Bye. He said, you're a guy? A guy curtsies when they pick up Leket? Something, something's, there's some Jewish DNA here. Something's going on. What, tell me a little bit about your life. Don't make a decision on another person by their label. I'm a guy. You're labeled. You're finished. You're done. You're a guy. Get out of here. One second. What do you mean you're a guy? You're not acting like a guy. So he said, okay, before I send you out of my field, because if you're a guy, I want to say, what's your story? Who are you? Oh, mother-in-law. Your mother-in-law is in the army. You left Moab. You're becoming a Jew. He gives her a bracha. Yeshalem Hashem Pa'olech. Hashem should pay you. You know what she answers him after all this? She says, You consoled me. I came to a field, everybody was calling me shiksa, they want to throw me out, they want to throw me over the fence, and you call me daughter? And you want to know what's my history? And you want to know where I come from? She said, thank you very much. Because now you consoled me. You spoke, Rabbi, you spoke to my heart. Not like everybody else who judged me by what I look like, about how I talk, or whether my hair is combed, or the size of my dress, how long it is. You didn't judge me. You just recognize that I'm a person. 
and you wanted to find out about me. Malchus Shebechesed. Lefkowitz. This is Lefkowitz. This is opening a window for someone who just sees a wall. And he ends, and she says, Rabbi, why did you do this? I'm not like all the other girls in seminary. I'm not like a regular Jewish girl. Why are you giving me this time? And how did this pay off, girls? How did this pay off by not judging a girl, by being nice, by talking, by asking questions? How did this pay off? In the end, Boaz married Rus. And from Rus came David HaMelech. And from David HaMelech came Moshiach. From the Midah of not judging a person, a cover, not judging a book by its cover, by asking, who are you? What's going on in your life? Beatty, my daughter, my sister, what's going on? Now, I told the boys last night, that doesn't mean they should go to every girl and start saying, <laughs> Beatty, my daughter, what's going on? We're talking about a Gadol Hadar over here. They're like, oh, Rebbe, that's unbelievable. I'm just going to go around on Avenue J and say, Beatty, my daughter, what's going on? Tell me about your life. I'm like, you got to be very careful, you know, when you give a shir. We're talking about people in Chinuch. We're talking about Gedolim. We're talking about Sadiqim. We're talking about leaders. And if that's what you want to become, this is how you become that. If that's what you want to bring into the world, Mashiach, that's how you're going to bring Mashiach. But now let me tell you the Rus side of the story. That's the Boaz side of the story. Let me tell you the Rus side of the story. So now, if you could imagine in this room, you have this girl who is totally separated from Klai Yisrael. Everybody's looking at her pretty much like a guy because they still didn't accept that a Moavia is allowed to marry into the Jewish nation. She's got one man in the world that believes in her, the Galal Hadar. So you would think that from now on she's going to, you know, be very from around him. Her mother-in-law in the army who lost her son, who was married to Rus, there's a din called Yibum. Yibum means that if a woman's married to a man and the man dies without children, then she's allowed to marry even that man's brother, which she's not, normally not allowed to marry, because she, we need to bring a child into the world to bring back the name of that man that died without having a child. That's called Yibum. If there's no brother, we go to the closest relative, and he, he, he can't either marry, do Yibum, or do Chalitza, which means he, he doesn't want to do Yibum. Naomi tells Rus, listen, tonight, the Galah Hadar, the Galah Hadar Boaz, is in his silo of wheat. He's sleeping there by himself. I want you to go down to the silo, secretly, don't let anyone see you, sneak into his room, go over to his bed, uncover his feet, which is a sign of Yibum, uncover his feet, and sit by his feet until he wakes up. Finally, this girl, who everybody thinks is a lowlife, she's finally recognized by the rabbi, and her mother was telling her, go to that rabbi! Who, the only guy in the world who thinks you're a tzaddikista, in the middle of the night, sneak into his room and uncover him. You crazy? I finally found someone that thinks something to me. I'm going to do that. He's going to get up and he's going to say, you're talking a low life like they all think you are. And what happens if I get caught? Going into the girl Hadar's room? He had lost his wife. He was a, a, a bachelor at that point. On top of that, girls... There was no din of Yibum here. 
Because when Rus was married to Naomi's son, she was a guy. And there's no kedushin, there's no marriage of a, of, a, of a Jewish man to a non-Jewish woman that's not a marriage. So she was never married to him. So if she's never married to him, there's no real mitzvah of Yibam. There's no kedushin. So where are you going? So what's going on over here? And Naomi said, my son never had a child. And if you have a child from Boaz, being that it's the same family, it's, it's like my son had a child. Do me a favor and do this. Now any normal girl would say, listen, you're my mother-in-law. And I really appreciate everything, but I'm not going to go to God on the door and uncover his legs. I'm doing it. My mother-in-law wants me to do it. I said, whatever you ask me to do, I'm going to do. I'm chesed, I understand your feelings. And she went down, and she did it. Now, Boaz gets startled in the middle of the night. Somebody uncovers his feet. He wakes up, the Golahadar. You have to see this plastic. And I'll read you what happens. He, he, he started to shake. He woke up. There's a woman at his feet. What was his reaction? Get out of here. What are you doing? Right? No. Not Boaz. Not a gondol. Who are you? Says the Mepharshim. He was asking her, are you human? Or are you a shade? Because it doesn't make sense that a human woman is going to come to the God. What are you? Are you real? Are you a woman? A, a, a human? Or did, or did the Satan send one of his one of his team? So he said, who are you? Okay. So she says, I am Rus, your maidservant. Could you spread your robe? It's a, a saying, in other words, will you, will you be my redeemer? Now, that's a little bit shocking, right? What does he answer? You should be gebenched, my daughter. Now, why don't you wait till I get up after Shachwas and knock on the door and ask me? What are you doing in the middle of the night? What kind of shenanigans is this? Uncovering me in the middle of the night? What's going on? No. He understood. Naomi sent her. There's a reason for this. So he gave her bracha. Brucha at Lashem Biti. Hatest chazdecha achrein men harishon. Your, your second thing that you're doing now is greater than the first thing. What was the second thing? What was the first thing? The, the first thing was that she stuck with Naomi. And the second thing was that he was very old. He was 90 years old. And she was a young girl. And he said that you're willing to have a child with me in order to marry me, such an old man. How long am I going to live already? To, to, to have a child, to bring back this man's child, that's even a bigger chesed. Okay. They get married. They get married. And you have to be careful when you give a bracha what you say. When they get married, so when they're walking out of the chuppah, all the people that were there, right, they give them a bracha and they say the following. This woman who you just married, Rus, should be like Rachel and Leah. That was the bracha that they gave. Now let me tell you what happened to David HaMelech. Whoever learned Navi knows a little bit of the story. What happened to David HaMelech, I'll say it very fast and then I'll make my last point. What happened to David HaMelech was the following. Yishai, who was David Amela's father, was a very big tzaddik. He wouldn't have died if it wasn't for the eating from the Eitz Adat. He was a perfect tzaddik, never did an Avera. He had seven sons. After his seven sons, they kept bothering him and telling him, you come from Rus. Rus is a Moavia. We're still out on this halacha of Moavia and Lomavia. You can't be with your wife anymore. So he separated from his wife. 
because he may have been an, a little bit illegitimate because they still didn't accept Rus. And he was, but, but a man's not allowed to be alone. He wasn't divorced, he's separated. So they said, being that you're, you have a psul, you're not a kosher Jew exactly because you come from Rus and whatever you want, you could marry your maidservant. You can marry your shifcha, shifcha knanis. So he said, okay. If that's what I can do, I'll do. I'll marry my shifcha knanis. His shifcha knanis, who was not a big tzaddikistah, but she realized that I don't belong with Yishai, she went to Yishai's wife and she said, listen, I can't be with your husband. He's such a big holy man. We'll switch places. He'll think it's me. It'll be you, Right? And he'll never know that he was with you. We'll give him a little bit to drink. He won't know the difference. And he'll never know. I don't, and, and you'll, and you'll still be holy and he'll be holy and I don't want to really get involved in this whole thing because I'm not holy enough. And Kachoya that night, the Shifcha went till the room, then she left. The wife that was separated, his wife came into the room. From that night she got pregnant. From that pregnancy came Dabana Malach. But there was a huge problem. And the huge problem was that she was separated. So now, all of a sudden, this woman who was separated is pregnant. So Yishai and his children, his seven sons said, she committed adultery. Because how else she could get pregnant? She was separated. And therefore, if she committed adultery, the child that's going to be born is a mamzer, is illegitimate, can't be part of Klai Yisrael. Child is born. The way Hashem works things, he has red hair. He was an Admoini. He had beautiful eyes, says, says, says the Navi. He had fantastic eyes. It says that when David Melech looked at someone who was righteous, they became a simcha. When he looked at somebody that was full of Averis, they fell apart. He had very, very strong eyes. Very beautiful eyes. So now he gets born. He's born with red hair. So they said, aha! None of Yishai's children had red hair. It must be that he's a mamzer. That some guy messed around with our mother and uh, that's it. So they took him and they threw him into the desert. They threw Dovan Amalek as a little boy. They threw him into the desert. Away from everybody. Because they wanted to hide their embarrassment. Comes Shmuel, right, the Navi. And he says, Hashem sent me to find the Melech, to anoint the Melech. Looks at the seven sons of Yishai and says, uh-uh, he's not here. Is there another one? And, and Yishai doesn't say I have another son. He says, yes, there's a little one, not my son, there's a little one in the desert. So Shmuel says, bring the little one here. When they bring the little one there, he sees, right? And Hashem tells him in the Vias, that's the one. That's the one. That's the Melech, that's the king. So Dabara Melech came to the world like the same story as Rachel Aleya. Klayasol gave them a bracha that Rush should be Rachel Aleya. What happened by Rachel Aleya? They switched. Rachel Aleya, he was supposed to be with Rachel, he ended up being with Leia. They gave him a bracha that your family should be the same. Aha. It ended up coming true. The Dabar HaMelech came from exactly the same switch. That was the bracha they gave him, and then Taka what happened. But we're going to go a step further. You have to see how everything connects. It's amazing. Just want to read you very, very short. And this is, this is my ending, and this is very important to everyone that's, everyone in Klai And that's why we read Ruth. I don't know if you know the story of, of Dabar HaMelech and, and, um, and Goliath. Just to have an idea, the Medrash says that Goliath was, 12 feet tall. He was 12 feet tall. He, his armor weighed 156 pounds. But there's one medrash that says his armor that he was wearing, Gullius, was 9,000 pounds. Okay, this guy was big. He was mean. And nobody in Clydesville would go up against him. 
He got up every single day and he said, it's me against one of you Jews. If we win, the Jews give up. If, if you win, the Plishtim give up. I'm telling you this story very, very short. Now, nobody would go against him. This little David Amelech, he was 29 years old. He was a shepherd. He didn't know how to fight. He never had, he never had a fight. He gets up and tells Shaul, the king, that I will go and fight against Goliath. So I want to tell you, just for a second, I know you usually lose me when I read inside, but just give me a second. He says the following. David says to Shaul, Don't be worried, Shaul. Shaul was a big warrior. David said, I'll go fight this, this big giant. So Shaul said to David, Are you crazy? You little guy, you're going to go fight against this warrior, this plishti? You're a child, you're a young man, and he's an Ishmochama. This is the lesson I want to teach you. Listen carefully to this passage. You're right, I'm a shepherd. And I was a shepherd of, of the sheep of my father. Ubaha Arives Hadov. Along came a lion and a bear. And you know what they did? They took one of my sheep. A lion and a bear. Now most shepherds would say, enjoy the lamb, have your lamb chops, just leave me alone, don't eat me, right? No. I went after them. And I hit them. And I took them out of their mouth. So now the lion and the bear attacked me. I grabbed the lion by his beard. And I killed him. I killed them both. This plishti, this, this heathen, right? He'll be like one of them. What's the difference? What's the difference between a bear, a lion, and a giant? Now comes the big pussy. What do you mean? There's a big difference between a bear, a lion, and a giant. This guy was a warrior that killed Hafni, that killed the two sons of Eli, Akoyin. Okay? This was not a man to mess with. David and Hashem and David said, "Let me explain to you. I didn't kill the Ari and the Dove. Hashem, Hashahitzilani, because they didn't get it yet. The Hashem who saved me, Miyad Hariu, Miyad Hadov. Hashem who saved me from the lion and the bear. Who are you telling me Plishti He'll save me from the Plishti. I didn't kill the bear and I didn't kill the lion. God did. God did. I just used my hands, but it was all Hakadosh Baruch Hu." So Shaul said to David, If that's how you're thinking, that it's not your power, that's all God, go, you're, 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 you're going to win. And it says he put on Shaul's armory, it fit him, and Shaul got jealous because Shaul was much bigger, and all of a sudden it shrunk to David's side, so David didn't want Shaul to feel bad, so he said, I can't fight with armor, right? And it says he picked five stones, there's a lot of medrash on this, he took five stones from the wadi, from the water, and there were five smooth stones. He named one Hashem. He named one Aaron Akohen because Goliath killed Chafni and, and the, the two sons of Eli. He killed them both. So he wanted to get revenge for Aaron because they were Kahanim. And Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov. He had five stones. Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov stone, an Aaron stone, and a Hashem stone. And he came up against this Plishti. And if you read it, it's amazing because it's trash talking that was going on here. The Plishti gets up and says, you think I'm a dog? You come at me with a stick? Right, because he didn't see, he hid, he hid the slingshot. You call me with a stick, you think I'm a dog? A little redhead, pretty boy? He got to be called him. He said, oh, you're very nice, you have nice eyes. Yeah, yeah, okay, you're going to take me down. Right, he made it, he started laughing at him. 
And he said, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to take your head and I'm going to feed you to the birds and to the behemoths. And when David heard him say, that you're going to feed me to the birds and the behemoths, he said, now I know Hashem's on my side. Because behemoths are animals, domesticated animals, they don't eat meat. So when the giant made that mistake, he didn't say chayos, he said behemoths. David said, I, I hear already you're not feeding anyone to anybody. Because you don't feed people to, to, to cows, they don't eat meat. So he already knew, Hashem already gave him a sign that this giant was going down. And he goes and he takes the stone and he throws the stone with a slingshot. And the stone goes through the metal helmet of, of, the, of, of Goliath. And, and it's a machlekes if that killed Goliath or not, but Goliath fell to the ground. Now, if anyone in this room knows, stones, especially flat, you know the flat stones are the ones you skip the water with? That stone is not going through metal. No matter how hard you throw it. So the Medrash says that the metal of the helmet went against its teva, against its nature of metal, and it opened up for the stone. And the stone went through the metal because the stone had Hashem's name on it. And Hashem said, I have to reward the metal. So I asked a girl in seminary today, I was pretty shocked. I asked the girls in seminary because I don't think anyone knows this. I said, what's the reward that metal got for opening up and letting the stone go through. Because it was a big Kiddush Hashem. The giant got killed. So a girl said, I know. From Queens. I said, ah, come on. And I was like going to bet her like my car. And I'm glad I didn't. And she says, from that day on, brismila, brismila has to be done with a metal knife. Before that, as we know from Moshe Rabbeinu's wife, it was done with a sharp stone. But since the stone, listen to this, since the stone was allowed to go through the metal, the stone said, okay, I used to do bris milah. you let me through to make Kiddush Hashem, now you do bris milah. And that's why we don't use sharp stones anymore for bris milah, but we use specifically a metal knife. It's brought down in the Medrash, amazing. Hashem even does mida kineged mida to a piece of metal. Imagine what he'll do for us when we do the right things. Where did David HaMelech get this power? To go up against something that nobody else was willing to go up against. He did make one mistake, just very interesting, that when he came to cut off his head, he couldn't get Goliath's sword out of its, out of its sheath that it was in, because it had a lock on it. There was a guy standing in front that was the, used to have shield bearers, because he was so big, so there was always a man carrying the weapons of the giant. Who was that? His name was Uri Hachiti. Now, he turned to Uri Hachiti, David HaMelech at that time, we didn't know who he was, and he said, listen, I'll make you a deal. If you open the lock that I could take his knife out to cut off his head, I promise you, I will get you to marry a Jewish woman. That's my deal. You become a gear, I'll make sure you marry a Jewish woman. I want you to hear what the Medrash says. He therefore asked Goliath's shield-bearer, Uri Achiti, to open it for him. In return, David HaMelech promised him that he would be given a Jewish woman to marry. David's promise made Hashem very angry. How dare he be so easy with Jewish women to say to a man, I'll give you a Jewish woman. Said Hashem, your true zivug, Batsheva, who's your real zivug, you will give to Uriachiti. He will marry your zivig. You have the chutzpah to give away a Jewish woman just like she's nothing. 
to this guy for opening the lock, I'll make sure you marry a Jewish woman, he's going to marry your woman. And that was the Uri Achiti who married Batsheva, who later on David HaMelech had to send to war to have him killed so that he could marry Batsheva. He gave up his own zivug because he was light with a Jewish woman. Don't make light of a Jewish woman. No, you would take a medrash. No, you would take a medrash. He lost his zivug because he told this guy, I'll get you a woman, yeah? Said Hashem, you'll get him a woman, he's going to get you a woman. He's going to get Batsheva. And he married Batsheva. So, the question is, where did he get this strength from? Why is this an important question? Because Goliath was 11, 12 feet tall. The Satan, Yitzhahara, is even taller. So all of us in this room, and everyone in Klai Yisrael, we all have a Goliath. There's always a giant that's standing in front of us that looks too big to destroy. Too hard to change. I can't stop saying Lashon Hara. I can't stop doing this. I can't stop doing this. Remember, Wallenstein, it's, just, it's, it's too big. I'll do little things, but, but I can't do such a big thing. I, I can't change so much. We all have our goals, and if we could understand how David Amelech was able to, to go after him, then we'll know how to go after our goals. And it's very simple. David Amelech told Shaul, listen to me. Nobody in this room has the strength to fight a Malach, to fight the Yitzhar. Nobody here. Just like you were able to fight the Yitzhahara by stopping to watch television, by stopping to go to the movies, by stopping to talk to boys, by stopping to talk Lashon Hara, by stopping to think bad thoughts, by stopping, by taking yourself off Facebook. No, I'm serious. By having the Koyach to do anything against the Yetzirah Sahara, what Dovah Amalek was saying, that the same Koyach to kill a bear and a lion, because it's not me, it's Hashem, I could take on anything. Shal, I'm not scared of anything. The same thing, each one of us in this room have to go into ourselves and find the bear and the lion that we killed in our life. Find the things that we changed in our life. And realize that we couldn't have even changed that. We're against the Malach if we didn't have Hashem. So if we could change that, we could take down anything. We're not scared of no Goliaths. We're not scared of no 10 foot, 15 foot, 100 foot Malach. And therefore when the Satan comes to you, you're not allowed to challenge him. Never challenge him. Never say, yeah, come on, start with me, I'll show you. No, chas v'shalom, it's brought down the Gemara. You're not allowed to do that. Never challenge the Satan because he'll take, he's a malach. But when the Satan comes to you, say, listen to me. What are you messing with me for? I'm connected to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. If you're going to come here and mess with me, I'm going to bring HaKadosh Baruch Hu into this. I'm going to bring the stone that says Yudke Vavke. And the stone that says Yudke Vavke is going to go right through your little head, Mr. Mr. Satan. And I'm going to take you down just like we took Goliath down. And therefore, a person has to go inside and understand that whatever you fought in your life to be a Jewish person, whatever th- test that you went through, if you were able to win that, then you're able to take your Goliath down. So my bracha to everyone is, you gotta stay for this extra second, it's worth it, trust me. We went to, we went to 20, we went to 17 seminaries in Eretz Yisrael in three days. We went from the most religious seminary to the seminaries for girls that have gone through the most terrible times in their life. And, Rabbi Max was with me, and the question that was asked was a very simple question. We want Mashiach. Chavetz Chaim didn't bring Mashiach. Nobody brought Mashiach. Why would a girl sitting here in this room be able to bring Mashiach? And the answer is just two seconds. There were a bunch of giants standing together, and they were talking to each other, and each one was saying, I'm taller than you, I'm taller than you, I'm taller than you, let's stand back to back. And all of a sudden, a little midget walked in. And the midget said, 
Oh, you guys are arguing about who's the highest? I'm the highest. And the giant looked at him and said, if we don't step on you right now, you better get out of this room. What do you mean you're the highest? You're the smallest. He said, you want to see how I'm the highest? And he jumped on to the back of the giant, climbed up his back, and stood up on his head. And he said, now who's the highest? We No, it's a very, very important lesson. We need to know. You're right, we're a bunch of midgets. We're Rachli Menu, we're Rus, we're Sara, we're who are we? Right? We're little midgets. But all the giants before us, the six million Jews, and all the tzaddikists and all the gedolim, if we continue in the way of Klai Yisrael, in the way of Hashem, you're right, I'm a midget, but you know whose shoulders I'm on? I'm on six million Jews' shoulders. You know whose shoulders I'm on? I'm learning Chafetz Chaim, Shmiritz Halashan. I'm on his shoulders because I'm learning his svarim. If I'm on his shoulders, then I'm the highest of them all. There's a girl sitting in this room right now. And I'm not going to mention her name. There's a girl sitting in this room right now who is a David HaMelech. Who the whole world was against. Who was embarrassed. Who was attacked. Who was belittled. There's no way I would have had the kayak that this girl had. And she had a right to walk out of Klyestrel. Nothing to talk about. And a few weeks ago, she called me and she said, I'm a David HaMelech. The gullius that I have in my life, that giant thing that they want to stop me from going to school and they want to keep me in my room forever and they want to keep belittling me. It's over, Rabbi. I'm out of my room. I'm going to yeshiva. Get me into school. I'm not scared of no giant. And kakachoya. And she's sitting in this room. I'm not looking at her. It's not important who she is. But I just want to tell her. I just want to tell her that you are exactly the David HaMelech that I was talking about tonight. Because if you are able to do this, then you are able to take down any giant that stands in your way. And I want you to know that I have the greatest respect and it is the greatest chizik for me with this girl. I know what this girl has gone through. For her to call me on her own, no therapist, no Rabbi Wallerstein, no nothing, no stories. She went inside herself. She found out that she has Malchus Shiba Malchus, that she is the great granddaughter of Rus, that that's where she comes from, and that she's not an Isha Nachria, she's not strange, but that she's Biti. She's a daughter of Hashem, and she'll always be the daughter of Hashem. And we should take a chizik from this. Everybody should take a chizik from this, and everybody should go out now and find someone who has a wall and turn it into a window and Hashem will talk and give us the windows of the base on English You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com